0: I would love to pray for us as we get started, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for the gift of life today, and thank you for what the Gospel of John teaches us about the importance of eternal life, that you're a God who opens blind eyes to the truth of who you are, Um, that you're a God who graciously intervenes and gives dead sinners new life, God, I just pray that as we read this passage and study it this morning, that your spirit would be at work, um, that your word would not return, return void, just as you've promised that it, that it won't. And I just pray that you would encourage your people, encourage Midlands Church um, as we press into an eternal truth that probably most of us haven't read today. Thank you that although we read, and these stories, God, and oftentimes we've read them time and time again, that you are a God who continues to shape and teach and conform us. And I just pray that this time would be yours and that your spirit would work powerfully. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as many of y'all know, uh, by the way, for those who are at, at home, which is my wife and my little boys this morning, Hey, hey, um, thank you for those who are with us in person and those who are at home. It's so good to be together as a church. But I wanted to start a little story here. As many of y'all know, it was September of, no, not September, spring of 2019 that I had a little incident. Um, It was self-inflicted in a sense because I chose to have an eye surgery. Um, I'm looking at Murph back here. I remember shortly after I chose to have this eye surgery, trying to convince Murph at the lunch table why he should still move forward with it, and he was looking at me like I was, for one, from outer space to uh, just like, just that slow head nod, like this dude is just totally wasting his breath, and I was, and the reason I was wasting my breath is many of y'all know that the surgery for me didn't go too well. It, um, the surgeon did a great job. My wife actually worked at the place uh, that did it, great doctors, great team, everything went right from their end. But for whatever reason, my eyes did not take too kindly to the to the LASIK surgery that I'd gotten. Um, and my healing process, what normally is supposed to take about between three and four days, took me about between three and four months. Um, and so many of y'all checked in on me, like I would come to church, my wife and I would come, she would drive me, I'd have a guy driving to school. And I remember a lot of people coming up to me like, you know, dude, are, are you okay? You know, was it, a, was it a rough night the night before? What's kind of what's going on? Because I just, I looked, um, quite frankly, like I was was blitzed. I mean, that's probably the best way to put it. Um, there, there's really no way around it. And, and my students, they love reminding me of that. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times I heard, six shades, bro, you know, walking down the hallway. Y'all were way nicer than my Ben Lippin students, honestly. So thank you. Uh, for not being in high school, and thank you for having a heart, um, because they found it hilarious. Um, And it was just one of those freak cases. I've actually got a picture, if you want to throw it up on the screen. That's me. Um, And this was my reality for about, like I said, three and a half months. Couldn't drive. Um, I tell people I feel like in some ways I would have been better off blind, because then I wouldn't have Uh, been expected to go to work but that was that was my reality and it was just downright miserable and a a doctor actually told me we got some other opinions and other people said yeah you know surgery was fine and but you're you're just one of those freak cases one doctor in Florida told me you are a one in 100,000 case he said most guys that do these surgeries will never see a you or even maybe hear of a you and I'm like, man, what a time to be special. Um, I'll go work on Murph a little more. But uh, we actually have, I won't name the person, another person in our audience that had the same surgery, same place, worked out great, you know? And so um, it's just one of those just one of those things. And, and for one, I did want to thank y'all for how y'all cared for my family in that season. In all seriousness, Midlands was a blessing to us during that. Um, it kind of reached a point where it went from, okay, you know, maybe slightly humorous, like what in the world's going on to like, okay, this is now kind of scary. You know, my wife at first was actually giving me a super hard time. Cause she's like, you, you're, you're being such a baby. Like she really thought I was, uh, milking this thing, you know, cause normally people three days later are good to go. And I'm on the couch, can't open my eyes until the first week. And she's like, dude, what is going on? You know? Um, but that was a season that I'm very grateful on past. As you can see, uh, graciously, the Lord has cleared up my eyes, I believe, through the help of doctors, through the help of y'all's prayers, through the help of time, right? Through the help of a lot of things. One other thing that helped was this. If you want to show this picture, we went to go see a specialist up, up in Greensboro, North Carolina, that's, that had one of three of these masks. Um, I showed some of y'all this picture and here was his strategy. He said, okay, I'm going to, supposedly there's three of these in the country. Um, they're from Italy. And he, he said, here's the idea. I'm going to put this mask on you because your problem is that inside your eyelids have all these hard little lumps of butter that are supposed to be secreting like, sorry, that's a weird, bad word, uh, fluid to help lubricate your eyes. But instead you've got these hard lumps of butter, right? And he said, so the idea is I'm going to slap this Darth Vader mask on you and it's going to heat up your face. And it sure did. My face got so hot and it's going to melt the butter and then I'm going to flip your eyelids. I'm going to just invert them and I'm just going to take this little torture instrument and I'm going to literally, I'm sorry, uh, if you need to walk out, go ahead. There's no, and I'm going to, I'm going to pop the butter. And that's what he did. And the Lord used that amongst other things, like I said, to help me. But The point is guys, that season was just miserable. It was miserable, and for me, it was a brief season in the, in the grand scheme of things. But, but the man we're going to look at today, this guy that Jesus encounters in John chapter 9, his story was not a season. The text actually tells us the guy Jesus encounters was born blind, and his daily reality was Never, he never saw the light of day. Never saw color. Never saw people smiling and laughing. He heard people talking, but he never he never put a name to a face. I mean, can you imagine? Daily, day in, day out, you sit, you beg, and you don't ever see. And that's his that's his reality. And so, if anything, um, the Lord has given me a whole new empathy for people who struggle in this regard. And I just love how Jesus works in John chapter 9 and what he's up to. So not to make light of blindness, seriously, because again, it it opened my eyes, no pun intended, to the reality of what people struggle with. But the guy we're dealing with in John chapter 9, it tells us in verse 1, it says this, as he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. Okay? So in a sense... I know I'm not using this the right way, but he is physically, just for the sake of helping us understand this passage, physically he is blind. I cannot see any of y'all right now. I can kind of see a light coming from the top, but he's physically blind. But my question is, is this man only blind in one sense at the beginning of John chapter nine? Is anybody, in what sense would it be appropriate to put on a second mask? I'm going to look to see if anybody's got the answer. Why is this guy actually blind in two senses? One is physical blindness, but what else? Spiritual Spiritual blindness. The the Bible actually teaches us, as I put on my second mask here, that every single person that's born, most have the gift, the gracious gift of physical sight, but this man in John chapter 9 doesn't have that. He also doesn't have the gift of what? Say it again. Spiritual. Spiritual sight. In a sense, he's got two masks on, groping to see, to cope, to do life, and also blind to the truth of who Jesus is. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us. It tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So that's what we're dealing with in John chapter 9. And as we work through this passage, we're going to see Primarily Jesus is going to deal with this physical blindness in the sense that that's the bulk of the passage. but I want you all to trace also what's happening with His spiritual blindness. So y'all seeing kind of the two questions. Primarily, it's a miracle, but I would say that this passage points to a greater miracle than the physical blindness. So here's where we're headed. kind of three parts to the story, if you're into taking notes. Here's the three parts. Part one is this. The outline is first, we're going to look at the miracle. Okay, that's John chapter nine, verses one through seven. We're going to look at the miracle. Second, we're going to look at the responses to the miracle. That's in verses eight through thirty four. And then third, we're going to look at what I would call the greater miracle. In verses thirty five through forty one. So everything revolves around this miracle that's going to go down. And again, part one, the miracle in verses one through seven, part two are the responses to the miracle that's happened. And then part three is the greater miracle in verses 35 through 41. Okay, so let's jump in here. I read verse one and it goes like this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? So there it says, as he passed by, this is Jesus and his disciples. Question is, where are they passing by? Well, the previous chapter tells us that they're probably right around the temple area, somewhere up on the Temple Mount. Okay, and Jesus is passing by and he sees a blind man who's probably begging probably hanging out by some sort of city gate. That was kind of the common practice. And it was pretty cool in going to Israel, seeing that very thing still happen where beggars often sit. It's, it's tragic. It's sad. But we, we got to lay eyes on that reality. So you can almost picture how this would have gone down. It says, Jesus passed by. They asked, who sinned this man or his parents? So it's kind of an either/or question, right? Because oftentimes the Jews had this belief that there was a one-to-one correlation between someone's sin and someone's suffering. And, and while sin can be the result of suffering, oftentimes sin is, or sorry, suffering is the result of living in a fallen world, right? It, it can be due to personal sin, but oftentimes the things that we experience, the suffering that we experience, Or because we live in a broken world. And so their question is a little bit flawed, for one. Although we can't be too hard on them. It makes sense in some sense that they would ask this question. But Jesus replies to their question of, who sinned this man or his parents by saying this? He gives a a third option. And he actually says, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What a verse. What a verse that God is going to. Jesus is saying essentially, this man's misery and his suffering will not be wasted. That I'm going to use the very thing that has so marked his life, that has so made his life miserable, that I'm going to use that as a means by which my glory is made loud and made clear. So, so he says, something's happening here. that that the works of God would be displayed in them. And then he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. So he's used the word work or works there one, two, three, four, five times. He's basically saying, when I read that, I'm kind of thinking, okay, something's about to go down. He keeps talking about these works and what he's basically saying is while I'm here, I'm going to bring light to the darkness, and I'm going to accomplish works. And I'm thinking, okay, Jesus is literally about to, as we may say, do work. Something is about to happen because he keeps alluding to these works. And obviously, John has this whole light-darkness contrast all throughout his gospel. Jesus is about to do something. Verse 5, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Keep in mind, he's talking with his disciples right now. And the blind guy is nearby. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, watch this. Here comes a miracle. He spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So, so Jesus, he sees this man. His disciples are standing by. It says he spits on the ground, makes mud. I don't know if it was with his finger or with a stick, but he makes mud, grabs it. You may be thinking, man, why is the guy not stepping? Well, well the guy doesn't see. He, he, he's blind. And Jesus grabs this mud and smears it on this man's eyes. And then he says this, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And what's interesting, guys, about the Bible is the, Bible, the writers of the Bible, they kind of assume that you live there. And obviously, we don't. So some of these verses that say, like, go wash in the pool of Siloam. In the next verse, what is his response, by the way? What's this guy's response? So he went and washed... And came back seeing. Just one brief little sentence. So he went and washed and came back seeing. It's like, oh yeah, that was easy. You kind of just step in the backyard. You dunk your head in the pool. You're good to go. The pool of Siloam, we just assume, is just right there. No big deal. But what's pretty cool is Jesus is probably, remember, where is he likely at this time? Somewhere around what? The temple. And the pool of Siloam, guys, is not near the temple. It's about three quarters of a mile away down a really steep hill. Really steep hill. And so that so he went. It's not just a dunk in the pool. That's a long trek for a blind man down a long hill, right? And and even if he was closer to the Pool of Saloam, it's it's definitely a long trek back up to the Temple Mount area. So, So for this guy, it's in some sense a walk of faith. I don't know that at this moment... It's a saving faith, but it's a walk of faith as this blind man staggers down to the Pool of Siloam. And, and the hardest part, when I had the privilege of going to Israel, um, the hardest walk that we made during our entire trip was from the Pool of Siloam back up to the Temple Mount. It is a steep trek. They've, they found the Pool of Siloam in 2004. Prior, they found one that they thought may have been it. And they dug up the Pool of Siloam in 2004 and also a road that led from it up to the Temple Mount. Not the entire way, but parts of it, which is just so cool. If you want to show the picture there, this is the Pool of Siloam that this guy actually... And a a church has that concrete section on the other side and they refuse to give up the space. So it's kind of like, man, we've only got a little bit of the Pool of Siloam we can actually see. But those are the very steps that that man would have walked down. The very steps that he would have walked down wondering is this rabbi that I've heard, I've heard these rumors of these rabbi, that he can heal, that he does great works, am I really gonna receive my sight? And he stoops down in the water, he washes his face, and for the first time he, may, he sees his reflection, he sees color, he sees people, he sees life. And then he walks back up. And here's what, here's what goes down when he walks Back up. The next section is the responses to the miracle, right? So we've seen this miracle of physical sight that's been given to a blind man. And as a result of that, there's going to be really four different interviews that it's like everybody's putting this poor guy on the grill and he's just received sight. It's like Give the guy a break. He finally can see and people are coming after him. So just watch his different interactions with these people. The first is the neighbors. It says this, verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open?" And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. It's a bit of a funny question. Where is he? Remember, he, guy's blind, doesn't know. He's, he's gone down. He's come back up. He has no idea where Jesus is. All he knows is, listen, he just says what happened. He just testifies to the work of Jesus. I don't, I don't know who, really, I know his name's Jesus, I don't know where he is, but I know this, I was blind and now I see. The neighbors are kind of a mixed response to this miracle, but let's look at the others. He's going to have his second interview with the Pharisees, verse 13, and I know we're, we're flying because this is a big chapter, but so y'all... uh Keep track of with me. Thank you for your willingness to kind of hang on as we fly through this passage. Jesus says, I think, to Judas, what you do, do quickly, right? So we're going to kind of rip that verse entirely out of context, and we're going to apply it to our treatment of John 9. And Some of you CIU students are like, eh, it's a joke, okay? Um, I, I was a CIU student as well, so. Um, but we are going to, what you do, do quickly, okay? Because we just, we have to. Long chapter. Um Verse 13, so they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes. Oh boy, it's a Sabbath. So the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. He's just sticking to his testimony, right? He's just sticking to what happened to him. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Ironically, guys, Jesus did not break any law in the law. Yes, he's breaking some man-made traditions of the Pharisees, which were ridiculous. But he has not broken any law and he is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, but the Pharisees are looking for a reason to reject. So they're thinking, although this the blind man can now see Jesus broke some nitpicky man-made law that's not even in the Bible. They say this man's not from God, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others say, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, here's another testimony of the blind man, he's a prophet. For us, that may be weird. Why are you calling him a prophet, guys? But for the Jews, there was a long time of silence where there wasn't another voice. And they were waiting for a prophet to arise, like John the Baptist, and for someone who would guide them into the voice and the ways of God. And so for a Jew to say he's a prophet is a big statement. It's a big statement. It's not the Messiah, but it's it's a big deal. And so you can almost see the grace of God working on this guy. I don't know that he's, his spiritual eyes have been opened at this point, but he knows something is going on with this Jesus guy. He says he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind. This is verse 18 and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So the Jews, they ask the parents two questions. They get the parents involved and they say, we've got two questions for you. One, is this your son? Two, what happened? Because they're, they're, they're approaching every angle, everything they can pull to reject and disbelieve. They're going to they're try to do that. And so they pull the parents in. And the parents' response to me is just so, it's so sad. Because remember, these are the parents that, that raise This blind boy. These are the parents that face so many challenges in life as a result of their boy's blindness. And watch their response to this interview. First interview was with the neighbors. Second interview was the Pharisees and the blind man. Third interview is now the parents and the blind man and the Pharisees. And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And then John actually tells us why they said what they said. He said that they said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, that he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the parents' response is kind of this, step back instead of like, what happened to our son? I mean, there should be a sense of wonder and amazement that a son that we raised that has been blind his entire life has been The lights have come on, his sight has been flipped, and instead it's this, we fear the Pharisees more than we fear the works of what Jesus had accomplished. Some of us guys, we may have family members, that that's the approach to the miracle that God has wrought maybe in our own life is step back, we don't really know what to do with it. By miracle I'm referring to our spiritual site which we're getting to okay so they kind of step back and then and then there's another interview between the Pharisees and the blind man i'll move through this quickly for the second time this is verse 24 for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, "Give glory to God we know that this man is a sinner what We know that Jesus is a sinner. So give glory to God. What a statement. Here's what the blind man says. I love this response. To me, it's the key response in the whole text. He says, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know, but one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. What's this guy sticking to? Time and time and time again, he's just saying, Here's here's what happened. I can't argue. The finer points of the law. I can't argue what you think about Jesus. You know, I, you're going to find a way to be upset. You're going to turn my parents against me. You're going to turn je- the, the crowds against me. You're going to turn your fellow Jews against me. But one thing I know is this. I was blind and my eyes have been opened because of Jesus. That's, that's all he's got. That's all he's got. And he just sticks to it in boldness, knowing what it's going to cost him knowing the frustration and the tension that's being built, he sticks to what Jesus had done in him. I love his response. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them. Now he's about to get a little snarky with him, actually. I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I'm like, man, this guy. This guy. I need to be careful with some of the jokes I'm making. But um, it's like, man, I, I want that kind of boldness. This guy doesn't really even at this point know who Jesus is. Are you tracking what I'm saying? He's, he's been blind. This, this guy comes and puts mud on his eyes. He's probably heard stories of Jesus. He can see now. I'm not even sure at this point that... Not, we know that the, the physical miracle, obviously... Has happened? He can see. Has the spiritual miracle happened at this point in the text? I'm not really sure it has. You feel free to disagree, but we're going to get to a point where I think it definitely does take place. But I love his boldness. He says, I've already told you you won't listen. Look at his question at the end of verse 27, do you also want to become his disciples? That that one makes them a little bit mad. And they said they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. Another testimony to what God's done. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's still the blind man talking. There's another testimony. They answered him, the Pharisees say, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. I also kind of love the statement, you were born in utter sin, because they're basically admitting, yeah, he was blind and he does have sight now. You know, they've kind of forfeited that one. They've forfeited that miracle even in saying you were born in utter sin. Because what they're saying is, you were born blind. It's like, somebody give this guy a break. Yet he sticks to his guns. He sticks to what God has done for him. I love how this passage wraps up. Okay, We've seen the miracle. We've seen four different responses to the miracle. They're interviewing him. In some ways, it felt like my past week. We had accreditation in at Ben Lippin, and I felt like I was put on the grill this week over and over and over. Similar to this guy. Obviously, it's way worse for him. Okay? Um. but watch what Jesus does to wrap this passage up watch how Jesus seeks him out and makes sure that the greater miracle has occurred before we do that I just want to pause one second and say let's just look real quickly at what he how he's testified what 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 does he refer to Jesus as in at this point in the story? Here's if you look in verse, you're gonna have to do a quick jump. We're gonna look at four verses real quick. If you look at verse eleven, the blind man says, "The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes." Verse eleven. First, he calls him Jesus. If you look at verse fifteen, what does he call Jesus? Somebody help me out with this one. If you look at verse 15, what does he call Jesus? Somebody shout it out. The end of verse 15. Sorry. Oh, apparently my eyes are not as good as I thought they were. 17. What does he call Jesus at the end of verse 17? He's a prophet. So he goes from the man called Jesus to a prophet, which is a big deal for a Jewish person to utter that statement, to then look at verse, the end of verse 30. He says, he opened my eyes. And then in verse 33, he says basically that Jesus is from who? From God. In other words, it it seems as if you can almost see grace in action in this story. I know that may sound odd, but it seems like you can almost watch the, the blinders being peeled back and the light of the glory of Christ coming through to this man. I believe salvation happens in a moment. I think scriptures are clear on that. But I love how God is wooing, Jesus is wooing and drawing him, it seems. And, and it seems like his view of who Jesus is is being chipped away at. It's being elevated to its rightful and proper place. And Jesus is not going to leave any room for doubt. He's going to track this man down and make sure, although a physical miracle of blindness has been solved, I'm going to make sure the greater, greater miracle of spiritual sight has taken place. I just love this. It's very similar to what happens in John 4 with the, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, where she initially calls him a needy Jew, and then sir, and then she says, are you greater than Moses? And then she calls him a prophet, and then by the end she says he is a man that told her everything she ever done, And is the Messiah. And later on the the Samaritans all say he's the savior of the world. It's a similar line of Jesus is elevating and graciously shedding the light of the glory of Christ on blind eyes. And yet I believe it happens in a moment. Sometimes for our own grace stories we, we may not know the exact moment and that's okay. You may not know the exact pinpoint Moment of when Jesus saved you and when your spiritual blinders were ripped off. I think the question though is are you seeing Jesus today? Are you following him today? Would you say today, I'll deny myself, I'll count the costs, and I'll follow you? And I would say if that's your heart response to the work and person of Jesus, the Bible is clear that your spiritual blinders have been ripped off by the grace of Jesus. Y'all track with what I'm saying here? Let's, Let's just finish this passage. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He goes and he finds this guy and he says, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I think it's very clear that in that moment, that God removes the spiritual blinders from this blind man's eyes. And I think the beauty of this text, hear me loud and clear on this, the beauty of this text is not just that Jesus performed a physical miracle. The beauty of this text is that Jesus performed a greater miracle in in the heart of this sinner who was born in sin who naturally was a rebel of God like we all are, who naturally was dead in his sins, a child of wrath, enslaved to sin, and yet Jesus, and I think it's helpful as we, as we learn of all these miracles. Mark 5 tells us it's really helpful. In Mark chapter 5, maybe it's Luke 5, Jesus engages this paralytic, right? You know the story, they, they drop him through the roof. He's got this bum leg. And if I'm the paralytic, the first thing that I'm hoping that Jesus says is your leg is forgiven. You're sorry. Your leg is healed. But what does Jesus say? <laughs> your leg is forgiven. He, Jesus actually says your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on to say, so you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Rise, rise and walk. In other words, I'm going to heal your bum leg so that, you know, I have the power to heal your bum, broken, sin saturated hearts. That's the That's the beauty of these miracles. That's the greatest miracle is that Jesus takes dead sinners and he draws them to himself. And through faith in himself, he calls us righteous, clean, forgiven children of God. That's the purpose of miracles. He's not just trying to do sweet tricks. And that's sadly a way a lot of times the people, they get sucked in and wooed and wowed by the, the magic show. Or they want more bread or they want more signs. And Jesus is like, I have come that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And the greatest miracle in John 9 is that he opens this man's heart, that he gives him spiritual sight. Let's finish out the passage. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Keep in mind, we're going to learn the Pharisees are standing right there and they're hearing this. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a backhanded, well not back, it's, it's an open jab at them. Because this blind, desperate man who's fumbling his way through life and has the humility to come to Jesus as a broken beggar is the exact opposite of these Pharisees who say, I've got it, and I've got spiritual sight, and I've arrived on it. It's a contrast, and Jesus is saying for. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Obviously, Jesus is in the business of saving sinners, but that judgment piece we can't ignore. Here's, here's the way one commentator puts it. It's really helpful. He says this, the very light that saves people cuts through darkness, dispels darkness, and casts shadows of judgment on those who reject him. So there is an undoubtedly in this passage, an element of as God is graciously saving people and people are looking at that evidence, at the miracle and stubbornly refusing it, that even in his saving, there is... A judgment, so what I want to do now guys is is just briefly turn to we don't have much time I've already probably shared for too long, but I just want to briefly uh, draw out a few practical, I guess pointers, a few practical truths for how this story of physical and spiritual sight would apply to our spiritual sight stories. A spiritual sight story, quite simply, is this. It's a testimony. It's pointing back to what God has done in your life. And, and I think sometimes Christians can be very intimidated by, man, how do I share a testimony? Maybe you have shared it before. Maybe you never have. It's as simple as this I mean, really, I think such a helpful outline for what a testimony is is what the the blind man says, the formerly blind man in John chapter nine, verse twenty-five, where he says, "Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that thou I was that though I was blind, now I see." In other words, he says, "This is who I was," and then. This is who I am now. Y'all track with what I'm saying? This is who I was. In some of those other testimonies, he also says what happened in between. So a testimony could be as simple as this is who I was before Jesus. This is what happened. And this is who I am today as a result of Jesus. And it's testifying to that. And I believe there is power in that. It's not just a past salvation story. It's a weapon that Christians can use today as we engage with people who have Blind eyes. And, and I just want to encourage you in this. I, I hear oftentimes some people feel like, man, my spiritual sight story is boring. I don't have an awesome story like this blind guy. Or I don't have a past where it seemed my, my life was this way. And then Jesus intercepted it and now I'm headed this way. Maybe, maybe you'd say, I grew up in a Christian home and I would say, listen, that is not boring. That is the grace of God through faithful parents. It is the grace of God that you weren't exposed to so much of the filth that sadly people experience. That is not boring. That is grace at work. If, if you grew up in a home where your parents stayed together and trained and raised you in the fear and admonition of the Lord, there's nothing boring about that. Praise Jesus for that. And yet if your your life was clearly full-fledged in sin and darkness and of the world and God plucked you out of that and he gave you spiritual sight, guess what? Praise God for that too. There is no such thing as a boring grace story. There is no such thing as a boring spiritual sight story. And I, I hope as a church, man, that we're prepared to share that if the Lord... Open the door. Are you prepared to say, this is who I was, and this is what happened, and this is who I am today? And in different conversations, it may be bent towards different things. Maybe it's this is who I was. Maybe it's here's what the Lord's been teaching me today. But I think it's so cool in this story, it's obvious that the blind man story is not the main story. The main story is The story of the Savior who comes back to him and says, hey, I want to give you spiritual sight. So I think even in our testimonies, I think we should be mindful of share threads, share bits and pieces. But do your friendships have a vision of bringing people to Jesus with the full gospel? John's gospel, the purpose statement is it is written so that you may what? Believe and by believing you may have life in his name. And so I love this model of Jesus where he comes back and it's not just an incredible physical healing, but he comes back and he makes sure that that miracle has taken place. So I, I just wanted to encourage you all in that is our stories, when we look back at our stories and we look at our testimonies, our spiritual sight stories through the lens of a God who saved and see how God saved us, man, that's worth sharing. That is worth sharing, and I know that we're prone often not to. Actually, just this week, it was interesting to me that one of the things that comes up often with high schoolers is sports injuries, right? And in the mind of a a high school boy, and probably the ladies as well, it's like a sports injury can be life-altering, you know, when so much of our identity can be built up on what we accomplish on the field. And, And I had two conversations with people this week at the lunch table, both of which were injured, and it was interesting as I look back, when I was with some non-believers, some students that I know do not follow Jesus, I told them about my own injury in high school and my senior year, how I had an injury that basically made my whole senior year kind of a dud athletically. But I left out the part how the Lord reworked and reshaped my identity in him in awesome ways through it. And then two days later, I had lunch with some guys that I knew were believers, and I was quick to be like, because one of them had an injury as well, but I was quick to be like, and here's what the Lord did through that, and confirming my identity in Him apart from what I could do on the sports field. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? We're prone, if you're like me, to sometimes share it to those who we think will receive it well, and then to withhold it. When it may not be so well received. And one of the things I love about this story is the blind man, he's pretty consistent across the board and just being like, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And I think it's very likely he doesn't even have spiritual sight at that point in the story, and yet he speaks to the works of Jesus. My encouragement to us is how much more should we, if God has performed a spiritual miracle in our hearts through belief, How much more should we be apt to share that knowing who Jesus is and what he's called us to? So a good question might be, man, why, for one, am I prepared to share it? Am I prepared to share my spiritual sight story? Second, what's keeping me from sharing it when the Lord opens doors? For me, it tends to be more like a a waffle where I'll share it in certain pockets around certain people. And not like a pancake where I'm just letting it pour and letting it run and being like, here's the grace of Jesus and what he's done. And respond to it how you want, like this blind man. I'm so good at managing perception instead of just saying, God, here's what you've done. Last thing, man. uh, Last thing I'll say is this. People cannot argue with the power of a changed life. They really can't. They they really can't argue with the joy that you have and the peace that you have. They can't argue with the fact that, man, we can debate the existence of God we can debate the resurrection. I think both of those things, wonderful cases for why I think that's a more intellectual position. Like we, we have a lots of good reasons for what we believe, but sometimes it may be as simple as, hey, well, do you have joy? Do you have satisfaction? One thing I know is I was blind and now I see. People cannot argue with the power the changed life. And so another question I have for y'all is, does your, I'm trying to think how to put this. Is your lifestyle, does it make a case for the fact that a miracle has been wrought? you track what I'm saying? Is it evident that a miracle has occurred in how you live your life? Because the Bible's very clear that if you have spiritual sight and Jesus has saved you, that that is a miracle. That that was not your own, that it was a gift of God. John 1 says that we we weren't it wasn't of the will of man but of God referring to salvation. And so man, does does my lifestyle cause people to step in and be curious, or does it actually cause people to step back and say, they may speak of that, but I don't I don't see a change. And guys, each of these questions hear my heart in these. It's tough to stand up here and say this because I know how prone I am to not prioritize these things as well. And yet I want to keep coming back to it. Keep coming back to the basics of this is who I am. This is who I was. This is what Christ did. And this is what my life looks like as a result today. And to make the gospel the main thing. So um, I hope you're encouraged by this and... Yeah, I hope we'll share it and share it with with boldness Um, across the board. Obviously, we need wisdom in that, right? We need wisdom and there's there's the time to withhold. Absolutely. But are we willing and will we share it in light of what God has done for us? Let me just pray for us um, and we'll wrap things up. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness for your love and that you are a God who does miracles in the hearts of people. Every person that comes to saving faith in Jesus, that is a miracle. And Lord, I pray that we would be about that, that our lives would be streamlined in such a way where we want people to know Jesus. We want people to believe. We are willing to share that. Thank you that there is grace for the times that we fail because I know that I am so prone to be silent, Lord. But give us boldness um, in sharing what you've done. Give us a willingness to leave the results to you. We just thank you for the fact that you are in the business of performing spiritual sight stories and giving blind eyes new life And um, God, I pray we'd be about that as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.